0: The following is an excerpt from Joseph Sheridan Le Fanu's Carmilla. Nothing can be more picturesque or solitary than our castle. It stands on a slight eminence in a forest. The road, very old and narrow, passes in front of its drawbridge. Its moat is sailed over by many swans and floating on its surface, white fleets of water lilies. Over all this, the schloss shows its many-windowed front, its towers, and its gothic chapel. I have said that this is a very lonely place. The nearest inhabited village is about seven miles to the left. I say the nearest inhabited village, because there is, only three miles westward, a ruined village, with its quaint little church, now roofless, in the isle of which are the mouldering tombs of the proud family of Karnstein, now extinct, who once owned the equally desolate chateau which, in the thick of the forest, overlooks the silent ruins of the town. Regarding the causes of the desertion of this striking and melancholy spot, there is a legend which I shall relate to you. Everyone, I'm Alastair Murden, and this is Haunted Places Ghost Stories, a Spotify original from Parcast. Ghost stories have arisen from every century and every corner of the world, from the streets of Victorian Whitechapel to the temples of Japan. Whether seated around the campfire or curled up with a pair of headphones, we return to them time and again to feel our skin crawl and our hearts race. Episodes of Ghost Stories are inspired by classic short stories from some of history's greatest authors. The following version is our own unique take. It may feel familiar in some ways and different in others. We hope you enjoy it. You can find episodes of Ghost Stories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Today, we begin a very special four-part Halloween series which takes us from the world of Victorian ghosts to the world of Victorian vampires. This October, join us for a month-long retelling of Joseph Sheridan Le Fanu's classic novella, Carmilla. When most people think of classic vampires, they think of Dracula, but in 1872, Decades before Bram Stoker created his iconic bloodsucker, Carmilla was already draining the life force from her unfortunate victims. In fact, Lefanu's Carmilla is regarded as the first female vampire story. She's inspired horror fans and scholars alike for generations, because she's not just here to drink your blood, her desires are more complicated and they're just as eerie and sexy as they are bloody. It all begins at a lonely castle in Styria, Austria, far from Le Fanu's native island and the UK's rapidly industrializing landscape. Instead, Styria is a place of deep history, closely connected to the feudal past. It's a land of dense forests, gracious manors, And ruined towns. And it's home to a young girl named Laura, who's never heard of vampires. At least, not yet. Coming up, a strange letter arrives at the castle. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness.
1: Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit AnytimeFitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. With Capella University's FlexPath format, you can set your own deadlines, learn at your pace and access most coursework from anywhere at any time. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.
0: It was twilight, again. Laura lay on the window seat in the castle library, staring out at the quiet lawn and the empty road beyond. She often found herself here before supper, a book cast away by her side. She liked books, but she couldn't read all day. Just like she liked the company of her father and her governess, but couldn't stand them all day. After all, Laura's father and governess were old, they'd already lived their lives, and now they were content to spend their days quiet and calm in this lonely castle far from the rest of the world. But not Laura, She was 15, and she longed for a different life, one full of friendship, adventure, and romance. So, she lay in the window seat, stared into the distance, and dreamed. Dreamed of the nearest town, with its shops and cafes seven long miles away. Dreamed of things she'd never known at all, like galas and princes and pretty girls her age to gossip with. Laura. Began to smile. Pretty girls to gossip with, she thought again. No need to dream of that anymore. At least, not for much longer. Because soon, a young lady was coming to visit. Laura flung her legs over the window seat and paced around the library, looking at the portraits of long-gone relatives on the walls. Would her new companion look like any of them? Would she be dark or fair? Tall or small? Laura almost laughed. The possibilities alone were delightful. Just the thought of a real life friend made her heart beat faster. Bertha, that was her name. A perfect name, strong and sensible and kind. Bertha was the ward of father's old friend, General Spielsdorf. The two of them were due to visit in just a week's time, and they'd be staying with Laura and her father for at least a month. A long, glorious month. Finally, she'd have someone to chatter with, lying in the grass, weaving flower crowns. They'd drink chocolate together in the morning and whisper about future husbands in the afternoon. Or perhaps they'd explore, venturing out to the ruined village down the road. Laura paused, the smile slipping from her face as a familiar feeling took hold, a deep, overwhelming sense of foreboding. She took a deep breath, trying to ward off dark thoughts. This happened sometimes, often when she was alone. Her father called it her melancholy. He said it was because she'd lost her mother when she was a little girl, and perhaps that's why she felt it now. Because her mother's family, the Karnsteins, had once been the lords of that ruined village down the road. But that was long ago. Her mother had been the last of their line, and now their name was consigned to cemeteries and history books. Perhaps, Laura thought, the absence on her mother's side was the problem, a sense that something was missing. But other times she felt something stranger. It came from a childhood memory or a dream. At least, that's what they told her it was. It all began when she woke up, alone in her crib. She was a little girl, maybe six. She stood up in the bed to peer around the shadowy room and whimpered, afraid to be alone. Except she wasn't alone. A woman seemed to appear from nowhere along the side of her bed. She was beautiful with wide, clear eyes and long hair flowing around her shoulders. Her features were fine and pale. They almost glowed in the dark nursery. She put a finger to her lips and smiled. And then she climbed in the crib alongside her startled little companion. Only Laura wasn't afraid. The woman felt warm beside her, comforting. She snuggled closer and began to drift off to sleep, until a strange pain woke her. It was sharp, just at the base of the neck. She'd never felt such a thing. It was like needles sinking deep into her flesh. She cried out and sat up, only to find she was alone again. There was no woman beside her, just a warm indent in the covers. When the nurse came running, Laura pointed at the spot and whispered, a lady came, she hurt me. The nurse looked at her, bewildered. She asked Laura where she was hurt and the child pointed at her neck, but there was nothing there. No blood, nor bruise. And when she searched the room, there was no woman either. She climbed in bed with Laura herself and nervously whispered to the terrified child, Don't give it another thought, my love. It's nothing. It was just me in bed with you. Everything else was just a dream. A bad dream you'll forget. Except she never did. A shiver ran down Laura's spine. She shook her head as if trying to dislodge the memory. She didn't want to think of such dark things. She needed a distraction. So she decided to go find her father. Laura hurried out of the library and down the Long Castle Hall toward her father's study. But when she pushed open the carved oak door, she didn't find the reassuring smile she expected. Instead, a somber face greeted her. Laura, my love, I'm glad to see you. I was just going to look for you. I'm so sorry, but I've received some bad news. He paused, seemingly at a loss for words, but after a moment, he gathered in a deep breath and continued. Bertha, General Spieldorf's niece, she... She seems to have died. Laura stared at her father blankly, turning pale as a sheet. She felt as if her heart was sinking to the floor. There'd been no indication Bertha was ill. Laura felt her lips start to quiver. She fought to keep her voice from trembling. But how? At that, The furrow on her father's brow deepened. He shook his head. That's the strange thing. General Spielsdorf doesn't say. He's written in quite a remarkable style, very erratic. Perhaps he's just crazed with grief. I know he loved that child. Laura's heart sank deeper. She understood the general's crazed grief, and she hadn't even known the child. She dropped her head. The tears began to fall. Her father rushed toward her and drew her into a warm embrace. Oh, Laura, he sighed. I'm so sorry. I know you were looking forward to meeting her. Laura's tears came faster, but she pulled away and looked up at her father. Are you sure she's dead? Perhaps she's just fallen ill, if the letter wasn't clear. Her father frowned and shook his head. Don't entertain false hope, my love. You can read the letter if you like. You'll see what I mean, how strange it is. But the news of death, at least, is clear. He turned toward the desk, picked up a sheet of paper and handed it to Laura. She immediately started reading. I have lost my darling Bertha. I have lost her and now learn all too late that a fiend who betrayed our hospitality has done it all. Heavens, what a fool I have been. I thank God my child died without a suspicion of the cause of her sufferings." So he continued until the letter concluded on an even stranger note. The general wrote, "'I devote my remaining days to tracking and extinguishing A monster. Laura finished reading and stood silent. Father was right. The letter was strange, full of wild grief. Yes, but also there was something more to the strangeness. Like the general was on the verge of saying something he couldn't quite express. The talk of betrayal, of a fiend and a monster. But there was one clear message amongst the strange torrent of words. Bertha was gone. Laura felt tears rising again when a strange sound startled her out of her misery. She and her father turned toward the window. Could it be a carriage? Now that General Spielsdorf had canceled his visit, who could possibly be coming? But there it was, far off in the distance on their lonely road, two horses and a carriage and it was no ordinary coach. The horses were pure white, and the carriage was dark, covered in gilding that glittered in the last rays of evening sun. As it came closer, Laura saw it was moving wildly, careening down the road at breakneck speed, bouncing violently at every furrow or ridge in the dirt. She looked up at her father, eyes wide. He looked back at her, just as confused. Then, She grabbed his hand and pulled him out of the study, down the hall, and out onto the drive. Bertha might be gone, but someone was coming. The servants rushed out after Laura and her father, just as curious about the strange, clattering carriage. Even Laura's governess, the stern Madame Peridone, hurried outside with a rustle of skirts. Scandalized, she watched the coach and muttered, What could they be doing? But then, the curious whispers of the castle's staff turned to shouts. The carriage was drawing closer and moving even faster. It seemed to be losing control. The rig disappeared behind the trees, and a woman's voice screeched in panic. Then it reappeared, but the carriage kept flying past the long castle drive, round the bend in the road. And then, the screaming got louder, more urgent, more afraid the horses loosed their own strange piercing braids wood creaked and moaned and it crashed coming up the carriage's mysterious passengers
1: it's october 20th 2018 one day until the end of the world I'm on the compound of a secretive religious organization interviewing a longtime member. Their leader has predicted that tomorrow will be the beginning of the apocalypse. The prediction, yes, I am prepared. It will purify life from a lot of illusions. When I started working on this story, I was hoping to profile a unique apocalyptic group that had survived through many failed doomsday predictions. But the end of the world was just the beginning. The only way to get to heaven was to allow him sexual activity with me. I didn't specifically give my consent. I was frozen at the time. The
0: angels, they arranged it that he is supposed to have sex with his students.
1: He is an amazing teacher, and also he's a sick f- This is Revelations, a Spotify original from Parcast, premiering Sunday, October 3rd.
0: Now, back to the story. Laura watched in horror as the strange carriage flew off the road in a tumble of wood and horse hooves and crashed into a tree. Madame Peridone gasped and clutched Laura to her chest, holding her back from the wreckage. Laura's father, meanwhile, raced to the scene. Two wheels had flown off the coach, and the horses, now severed from their reins, galloped down the road, spooked. But somehow, the carriage itself was intact. A moment later, a handsome woman dressed in black velvet climbed out unscathed. Laura's horror turned to fascination. This woman was as grand as her rig. It wasn't just her gown, though. There was something in the way she carried herself. And Laura's father seemed to feel it too. He gave a little bow as he approached, then breathlessly asked if she was all right. The woman let out a deep, exhausted sigh. Strange, Laura thought, given the circumstances. Wouldn't she be more panicked? Her father, meanwhile, didn't seem to notice anything odd. He simply looked obliging and concerned as the lady began to speak. We've been traveling much too fast, I'm afraid. I'm all right, but my daughter has suffered a shock. Poor thing is still in the carriage. She's delicate, too delicate for this trip. Oh, what shall we do? With that, the woman raised her hand to her brow and turned away from Laura's father. Laura, meanwhile, felt a sudden urge to run up to the carriage and peer through its window. The woman had a daughter? A daughter? She'd have to be a young lady, perhaps around Laura's own age. But Madame Peridone was still clutching her tightly, so Laura stayed put. Surely the girl would emerge. In the meantime, however, the mother seemed to be just warming up with the theatrics. She turned back to Laura's father and clutched his hand. I don't know what else to do. I'm on a journey of vital importance and cannot stop. I'm afraid I must leave my poor girl behind and continue. I have no choice. Pray tell me, where is the nearest town? I'll leave her there until such time as I can return. At this, a thoughtful look came onto Laura's father's face. He glanced rapidly from the carriage to Laura and then gave a decisive nod. The nearest town is not near at all and no place for a young lady to stay without her mother, regardless. Please, allow us to take your daughter in, to recover at our castle. We'd be delighted for a guest. I'm afraid we've been disappointed by lost company lately. Here, he glanced at Laura once again, whose eyes were widening with excitement. Was he really going to let this girl stay? They didn't know who these people were. But her father seemed convinced they were gentlefolk, and she couldn't disagree. At least, the mother appeared to be a lady, if a bit, well, a bit dramatic. Laura's eyes darted toward her. The mother looked intrigued by the invitation. She tilted her head theatrically, but thoughtfully. Then she beckoned Laura's father closer, placed a hand on his shoulder... And began to whisper in his ear laura looked on her heart beating faster what could she be saying she watched her father's face as he furrowed his brow and began to nod slowly by the time the woman finished her whispering the scene around them began to whirr into action the coachman retrieved the horses and set about attaching the wheels the woman climbed back through its gilded door and then As darkness began to fall, another figure stepped gingerly out of the carriage. Laura felt her breath catch in her throat. The girl! She couldn't see her face in the dim light, but just as she stepped forward, ready to greet their new guest, her father caught her eye. He gave a tiny shake of his head. Not yet, he whispered softly. Then, however, he smiled a twinkling, happy smile. And as the white horses were put to the road, he gestured to Madame Peridone. Take the girl up to the green room, Madame Peridone, next to Laura's chamber. She needs rest for now. Then, just like that, the woman in black thundered off down the road as abruptly as she'd arrived. And her daughter was ushered up the drive into Laura's home before anyone had even seen her face. For the next hour, Laura paced around the castle, desperate to meet their visitor. Her despair from the news about Bertha felt like a distant dream. It had been thoroughly replaced by excitement and anticipation. Everything she'd longed for was waiting upstairs in the green room. Friendship, excitement, the promise of endless happiness. Still, her father was stern. Their guest had suffered a shock and would sit with Madame Peridone for now. The lady needed to sleep. This was a question of health, he told Laura. Laura couldn't argue too much. After all, she didn't want another potential friend to die. She swallowed, a touch of darkness rising into her mind. No, certainly not. The thought was too terrible to even entertain. So, she tried to distract herself. She knew every long, stony corridor of the castle by heart, every candelabra and every candle, every carved fireplace and every painting on the walls. But tonight, she looked at them differently, critically, wondering what their guest would think of them, what she'd say about them, whether she'd like it here. She wondered, too, who the girl was, how long she'd stay, what her mother had whispered to Laura's father, and, of course, what she looked like. Finally, Laura was forced to stop her pacing. It was time for supper, a late one, considering the whole castle staff had left the kitchen to watch the crash. But Laura couldn't stop her wondering. At supper, she posed all her questions to her father. Oh, father, the girl's mother whispered something to you, didn't she? What did she say? Did she tell you anything about her daughter or who they are? Anything at all? father looked at Laura, then shook his head, laughing. (laughs) You are an insatiably curious girl. How I ended up with you, heaven knows. Your mother was so different. A true lady, as quiet and sweet as a flower. But then I raised you, not her. And I don't see the harm in telling you, anyway. As the servants ladled out the soup and filled their glasses with wine, Laura began to grin. Oh, please do, father. Who are they? Her father frowned. Well, that's the thing, Laura. There's no harm in telling you, because there's not much to tell. She didn't say who they were. All she said is that neither she nor her daughter can or will give us their identity. Not for now. Laura's eyes widened with intrigue. How odd. I wonder why they're so secretive. Did she say anything else? Her father shrugged. A few other things. That she'd be back in three months, and that her daughter is delicate and nervous, but sound of mind and not prone to seizures. What an odd thing to say. Odder and odder. Laura felt a thrill creeping up her spine. The mystery was deliciously alluring. Her father didn't look as happy, however. A far-off look came over his face, and he seemed almost to be talking to himself, like he'd forgotten Laura was there. It is all extraordinary, indeed. I can't say, honestly, why I took her in. But in the moment, it felt right. To help two women in distress and he paused then looked at laura and shook his head as if trying to dispel his troubling thoughts well and they were clearly ladies whatever their strange story you could tell from the mother's bearing and a young lady friend will be a good thing for you just then Madame Peridone entered the dining room. Good evening, pardon the interruption, but I wanted a report on our little charge. Madame's normally stern face was illuminated by a rather shocking grin. Laura couldn't help but stare. She looked almost moony, like a young woman beguiled by a lover. And she seemed to be giggling. It's such a good report, after all, She's just a delight. The prettiest creature in the world. Here, she looked at Laura and seemed to remember herself. She cleared her throat and started to speak more seriously. Well, Laura, it's true. Even prettier than yourself, I dare say. And that's saying something indeed, my beauty. She's around your age, too. She's sleeping now, quiet as a mouse. Such a delicate face. Well, you'll see. She's just suffered a shock, is all. She'll be ready for company in the morning. Laura wasn't offended that the girl was more beautiful than she, after all, she knew it wasn't boastful to think she was lovely to look at, everyone agreed. So, if this girl was more beautiful, she had to be very extraordinary indeed. Her excitement mounted after supper as she climbed the stairs up to her chamber and soon, It was just a wall between her and their guest. It was almost unbearable trying to sleep. She tossed and turned, imagining the girl's face a million different ways, her languid, quiet limbs tangled in their sheets. Laura pressed her hand against the cold plaster behind her pillows. But finally, even her churning mind went dark, and she fell into a fitful sleep. The next day, Laura woke early, ready to visit their guest. She arrived at the breakfast table, beaming and eagerly slurped her chocolate down, spilling a few drops on her dress. Her father and Madame Peridone glanced at each other, grinning, charmed by her frenetic energy. Madame Peridone didn't even chastise her sloppiness. Instead, she stood from the table, her toast half-eaten, and patted Laura on the shoulder, I'll just go see if our guest is awake. If she is, I'll call you up. She was. A servant girl brought the news. Laura dropped her napkin to the floor and stumbled as she leapt up from the table. She raced through the hall, almost crashed into a vase as she rounded a corner and climbed the broad castle staircase two steps at a time. Then she was at the green room. Madame Peridone stepped out of the room with a soft smile and gestured for Laura to enter. Then the governess shut the door, leaving the two young ladies alone to meet at last. The morning light illuminated the room softly. Laura took a few tentative steps forward, suddenly as nervous as she was excited. Would the girl even want to be friends? What should she say? How did you introduce yourself to someone so mysterious and possibly so important? Her first real friend. Before she could decide on a greeting, a lilting, musical voice wafted from the bed. Laura, I'm Carmilla. I'm so pleased to meet you. Laura took a few more steps, her breath wavering with anticipation. She blinked a few times as she stepped through a shaft of sunlight, and then she saw her lying amongst the pillows. Long, dark hair flowing around her pale face, wide, clear eyes glistening, as beautiful as Madame Peridone had said, and also staggeringly familiar. It was the woman from her childhood nightmare. Thanks again for tuning in to Haunted Places Ghost Stories. We will be back on Thursday with part two of our Halloween special on Joseph Sheridan Le Fanu's Carmilla. You can find more episodes of Ghost Stories and all other Spotify originals from ParCast free on Spotify. See you on the other side. Haunted Places Ghost Stories is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound design by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Baden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Haunted Places Ghost Stories was written by Nora Battelle, with writing assistance by Alex Garland and Greg Castro, fact checking by Adriana Romero, and research by Mickey Taylor. I'm Alastair Murden.
1: The only way to get to heaven was to allow him sexual activity with me. These are not the people that you would normally associate with a cult. Do you think I need to be worried for my safety? I definitely think you should be prudent. This is Revelations, a Spotify original from Parcast, premiering Sunday, October 3rd.